Good morning. As Gino said, my name is Shannon. I am so glad to be with you here today. I um, also just want to preface this. I have a little bit of a cold, and um, Janae gave me the good cough drops, so I should be okay, but I've also told the tech booth that if I start to go into a coughing fit, like just to mute me, and then you guys talk amongst yourselves for a few moments <laughs> while I regain my composure. Um, so it's good to be with you here today. If you're here in person, welcome. I always like to say welcome to our second time visitors. That means you came and then you came back. We're so glad that you're here. I also want to welcome those of you joining us online. We're so grateful that you are joining us from wherever you are. Uh, so last week, if you weren't here, we celebrated our 14th anniversary as a church. And so we always do a celebration for our anniversary service. And this was no exception. And so it was great to be with everyone who was here and everyone who joined us online. Uh, and Gino reiterated a, a version of a message that he shares every year on our anniversary service. And he talks about like, okay, people always say like, okay, You've made it another year. What are you doing next? What are you, what are you headed toward in the next decade? What, what is the SSV all about? And he always says that the way on is the way in. And as we think about what we're going to do next year and in the next decade, we want to keep doing the right stuff. We want to keep doing the stuff that God has called us here at the SSV in our little slice of the world to do. And then we had a few people share their testimonies, and I love hearing people share their testimonies and how they came to the SSV and why they call the SSV home. And there's this common theme throughout every, every testimony that we hear is that at some point, someone had to hear about us. Like someone had to hear about the SSV before they started coming. They had to get an invite. They had to um, interact with someone who was coming here. And uh, later, uh, last Sunday, as I was reflecting on this, I started thinking about how in those early days, when it was us 11 adults and two babies, a church plant team, we were trying to turn every conversation into an invitation to come to the SSV. And I was like cringing because I was thinking of all the moments where I failed miserably at being cool and collected about that. Because sometimes I can be awkward. Uh, compare this to my mom, okay? So she doesn't live in Homewood. Um, she lives two hours away, but my parents are kind of regular in this community. You probably interacted with them at some point. Uh, they come up and they get around Homewood pretty well. Like they have mastered the school pick up and drop off. And I feel like if you can do that, you are a superstar, right? Um, they know where soccer fields and playgrounds are in the area and they are regulars at Waltz. Okay, so my mom is great at turning a conversation into an invitation to SSV. So a few weeks ago, um, our family of six and my parents, uh, we were meeting for dinner in Orland Park. I drove separately because I was arriving a little bit later, and I walk into the restaurant, and my mom is having a conversation with a couple about her age, and I kind of like walk up into the conversation, but I already know what's happening. I already know what's happening. My mom is inviting them to church, right? She's got this whole, con she's told them the history of the Vineyard Movement. She's told them the history of SSV. She's pointed to me. She's talked about Gino, all of the things, right? She's probably six sentences away from finding out that they are long lost cousins, right? That is just my mom's personality. That's her personality. In short, Mama Berg understands the assignment. She is telling people about the SSV. And I'm so grateful that she does because she does make up for my awkward moments 
right? I mean, I think of our 14th anniversary service and my mom's ability to turn every conversation into an invite to SSV, and I'm reminded that it matters that we tell people about the SSV. You are here today because someone in some way or some marketing avenue or some invitation or some newspaper article introduced you to the SSV. So let's zoom out from just talking about our church. To take it one step further, you are here today and people are sitting and standing in churches all over the world today because someone cared enough to tell them about Jesus and the life-changing power about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. Some of us come to know Jesus because we have an encounter with Jesus and then we go find a church. But others of us, we get invited to a church and then we have an encounter with Jesus. The church, the bride of Christ, the gathering of the people, whether in person or online, is Jesus' method for bringing people into relationship with him. But actually telling people about Jesus, this is a biblical call. We find this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where we recount the commission given by Jesus. In Matthew 28, it says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And these verses, known as the Great Commission, have been motivating Christians toward purpose and mission since the moment that Jesus said those words. I think that's great. We have this clear message from Jesus to go and tell people the good news about him. But if I'm honest, I have this part of my personality that makes me ask the question, why? Like, why do I need to tell people about Jesus? Or to focus on the emphasis, why do I need to tell people about Jesus? And that's where I want to start today. I want to start by talking about why should I tell others? And my message in total is why and how I should tell others, but I want to start with the question of why. We, uh, we've been using the past few Sundays as an opportunity for our entire church to go through the Alpha course together, where we've been taking each week to ask and answer questions about the Bible, about faith, and evangelism. And the Alpha Course material is material that was developed by Nikki Gumbel out of the UK, and it's content that asks those very basic questions about Christian faith. It's an evangelistic tool, it's a look at faith and life, and so as we reflect on 14 years in ministry, I go back to our mission, the mission of the SSV, which is to introduce people to Jesus who don't know Jesus, and for people who know Jesus to come to know him more. Why? Why do we have that mission? Why do we want people to know Jesus? When we introduce people to Jesus, we are inviting them into a relationship where they are fully, completely, and absolutely loved by Jesus. And being loved by Jesus changes everything. When I look back over different seasons of my life, when I replay the tape, when I watch the, the reel of my life, I can see myself saying over and over again, I don't know how people do this life without Jesus. And, and what do I mean by that? Because I could flippantly say that about a few things. I could say, I don't know how people do life without good, strong coffee. 
I'm not talking about creamer with some thin coffee added. I'm saying I don't know how you people do it with thin coffee. I just don't know. Or in our suburban life, I could say, I don't know how people do life without cars or without the internet. Or the kids might say without my AirPods, right? Or Air, yeah, AirPods. See, I don't even know what they're called. <laughs> I guess I'm not the kids anymore. Anyway, I have kids, they tell me. Or whatever you have that makes your life easier, whatever thing you consume, right? And the, what we're really trying to say, if we had to be more precise, what you're really trying to say is, I probably don't want to know. I don't want to know how to do life without these things. But we would, right? Plenty of people figure out how to do life without good, strong coffee. I see the lines at the places that I pass. I mean, you guys, I'm not going to mention names of the coffee place, but... Uh -huh. But what I'm getting at, what I want to say, is I don't know how, when I'm, when I'm saying I don't know how people do life without Jesus, what I'm trying to say is I don't want to know. I don't want to know how people do life without Jesus. Because if I look back over my life, I believe a few things to be very true and central to my life. Here are a few things. I believe that every good and perfect gift comes from God. James 1.17 says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. It's the gifts of community and my family. When I look at my children, when I look at my husband, it's the gift of my job. It's the gift of good coffee. It's the gift of heat in my house. I can easily turn back and say, God, I know that this is a gift from you. I can see your blessings in my life. I can see your protection in my life. But it's not just that, right? It's not just the good and perfect gifts, right? It's also Isaiah 43, 2. When you go through deep waters, I, the Lord, will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. It's Psalm 23, 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, and who's walked through a dark valley? Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you, the Lord, are close beside me. It's the lyrics to the song, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. And as I look back on my life, and maybe as you look back on your life, no matter where you are with Jesus today, I wonder if you have eyes to see that Jesus was close beside you. And when I consider the alternative, a life without Jesus, I become hopeless. I don't want to know what that sort of existence looks like. I don't want to know what that feels like. And that compels me to tell others about what it's like to have a life with Jesus, with his hope and his peace and his freedom. It's my why for telling people about Jesus. And it might be your why. You know that line, I've seen too much to turn back now. I've experienced too much to not tell people about this Jesus. And all of that is great. It's like sure thing, right? Maybe you're like me and you have uh, the tendency though, when you get into this, like you bring the wrong energy to this moment, right? Like the why, I've got it, loud and clear. Great commission, understood. I need to tell people, look back at my life. I understand the why. But the how, well, sometimes I mess that up. I think we tend to mess up the how of telling others in one of two ways. We can either be insensitive, which shows up as maybe being too aggressive, or we get too fearful, and then we choose instead not to do it. And let me tell you, as a person who regularly has to monitor my energy, I mess up 
on how to tell people sometimes. But I want to talk through a few things today that can help us get better at how to tell others. Here's the thing, we need not overproduce how we tell others about Jesus. Uh, I recently did a retreat at work and we did our DISC assessments. Okay, DISC assessments are kind of like Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, Strength Finders, you kind of know the thing, right? Um, okay, so I am a strong C with D tendencies. Okay, here's kind of a chart that we got. Okay, so I'm in the conscientiousness category, but I have some D traits, all right? And so this, this means that I show up in these ways, like I'm analytical, reserved, precise, private, systematic, but I also have like some elements of that D, like I'm very results-oriented, all the things. This is really helpful if you're interacting with me, okay? Keep this in mind, right? Uh, but also, part of, this, uh, part of this thing that we went through at work, it also talks about like how do, how do my fears show up with this type of personality style? Right? Well, I have fears of, um, like this shows up, is that I don't want to ever be unprepared. And I, I fear making mistakes. Like, can we just pause for a minute and consider how difficult this makes it for me to tell people about Jesus? Right? Like, I am quiet, precise, reserved, private, and also I fear making mistakes and being unprepared. This is like a disaster for, selling, for trying to tell people about Jesus. And if there's others of you in the C group, you're like, oh, that's me, that's me. Um, we should start a support group, maybe. <laughs> right? Now, some of you saints just said, what about Joshua 1.9? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Yes, okay. Okay, I get it. I say that verse a lot, too. Right? So I do need to be strong and courageous. But I've got to work through my personality. I've got to work through these details so that... I can tell others about Jesus. And now you other personality groups, you have your own issues, right? Like if you look at who you are, you're going to have to figure out for yourself. But that just strengthens my point. We all have to work out in our own ways, with our own strengths and weaknesses in mind, we have to w figure out how we are going to tell others about Jesus. And so let's just start by thinking about where we are, like our actual presence. We are called to be salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When we live our lives in front of people, we naturally display the presence of something. As Christians, we want that presence to be the heavenly Father. And this is often uh, considered, if we think about this, in terms of proximity. Um, when, when Gino first started dating me, uh, we, we met from a mutual friend, a guy that I had gone to high school with. He actually, Gino referenced him last week, Steve. Steve Rockman um, and I had been friends for a long time, and Gino and Steve were college friends. And so Gino uh, goes to tell Steve one day that uh, Gino and I are going to start dating, and um, Steve, who had known me for a long time, said, is Shannon even a Christian? He had known me for years, years. Now, before you judge me too harshly, 
we weren't that close. No, I'm just kidding. We, Steve and I were close, right? We were close. But I wonder what your coworkers and your neighbors would say about you. Ooh. <laughs> Does your presence in your home or your workplace or your school or your neighborhood or the club or your social media presence does it bring forth the salt and the light that Jesus asks us to be? Or do you blend in? Or are we salt and light in some circles and not in others? And that's just our presence, the way that we naturally show up in spaces, our mood, our ethics, our beliefs, and our boundaries. But what about when we actually start talking about Jesus? 1 Peter 3.15 says you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So we should be prepared to persuade people. And I think we have to be aware of what we mean by persuasion, right? Some of you just got visions of the preachers on college campuses with their megaphones and the rally cries. And, and maybe there's a place for that. Like, while I want to write those things off as too aggressive or doing more harm than good, I'm sure that Jesus will use those people to do good and to bring forth his kingdom. So I'm not making any judgment calls on that. But for our purposes, as we consider our presence in the spaces where we regularly are, what happens when you start speaking about Jesus? What happens when someone asks you a question about your faith? That verse in 1 Peter says, be ready to explain when someone asks you about your hope as a believer. Now, this assumes that you are living a life that exudes hope. So, believers, I think we need to be aware of how our affect may be affecting people's ability to ask us questions about our faith. Your Eeyore-type life is not calling forth any questions about your hope in Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be fake. In fact, don't be fake. Somebody say, don't be fake. Don't be fake. don't be fake. Live your life authentically because this hope that you have as a believer doesn't sugarcoat or gloss over the tough parts of life. It is your ability to find hope in the midst of an authentically lived life that persuades people to ask questions. When you are asked to talk about Jesus, do you struggle? Let me say, you are not alone. So it's important to consider what you might say if someone does come to you with questions about Jesus and faith. And preparation promotes a better response. Think about when you're applying for a job, right? You might sit down and you'll do some research about the company. You want to know what the company is all about. You might Google, like, what are the top interview questions that might come into play? Uh, for example, I was recently re reviewing somebody's application and on the application there was like a stretch of a, a year where there were multiple jobs, like one year, multiple jobs, right? Uh, that person should expect me to ask questions about that, right? And so when I ask questions, that person should probably have like noticed that I was going to ask about that and should have a response. And so my point is you can probably anticipate the most basic questions that a person will have about faith. And if you can't anticipate, you can prepare. And that matters, especially if you have a personality like mine. You can prepare answers to questions about your own journey or your own struggles and challenges, things that you've encountered along the way. 
You might be able to answer some of the basic questions about why Christianity over other religions. You might be able to answer the questions of like, why are there natural disasters? Or why do bad things happen to good people? Because people will ask. And if you've established your presence and your proximity to them, you will likely be the safest place where, they can answer their, where you can answer their questions. And when they ask, be ready to explain it. And this persuasion, it ties in closely to proclamation. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. You should proclaim or tell your story in a way that stays true to you, to your style, your testimony, your message. For the love of all things true, don't proclaim a story that you haven't lived, please. Right? Kevin K.B. Burgess, he writes in his book, Dangerous Jesus, he says, shout out to Katie for this book, our job is not to make the gospel more relevant to people. Let me read that again. Our job is not to make the gospel more relevant to people. The gospel is relevant because people are sinners. But sin, as I understand it, is an affront to God and a destroyer of his world. And the Bible makes it clear that the way we know we are offending God vertically is how things are playing out horizontally. Listen, we don't have to convince people through persuasion or proclamation that this world is a hard and difficult place. They can see it, right? Christian or atheist, American or Israeli, from the highest social rungs to the lowest, this world will eat us alive. The gospel, the good news, it's relevant on its own but we do have a role to play in the proclamation of it. It is my belief that presence, persuasion, and proclamation, the right kind of persuasion and proclamation, is a really solid place to start in terms of how to tell others. Like if I had to sum up my big picture message for everyone today, I would say that how you tell others about Jesus is to do life with people in an authentic way and be ready to tell the story about how your life and your relationship with Jesus changes you how it makes you more hopeful, or kinder, or calmer, or steadier, or wiser, or bolder, or whatever it is. Tell that. Live that life with people. Now, one of the best parts of your story is where you're able to talk about how your life demonstrates the power of God. You don't have to come up with catchy phrases or be a leading speaker uh, who can dissect the most challenging aspects of faith. You don't have to be that person. You just need to know that God's power is at work in your life, and where you go, the Holy Spirit is there. And when someone asks you to share about your faith or to talk about Jesus, you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit is with you. Sometimes when I can tell that a conversation is starting to go toward that path of faith and about my story and about Jesus, I'll just start saying silent prayers like, Oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Teach me to listen, Lord open my heart, soften their hearts. Like, I'm just praying the whole time that this conversation is happening. Do your work, Lord. And as we get this opportunity, as these things are naturally happening, as the Lord is presenting these natural opportunities for us, sometimes 
we have a chance to pray with that person. And this opportunity for prayer is such a gift when it comes through the natural and organic ways that we are telling people about Jesus. Praying for someone using the phrase, can I pray for you right now, is one of the most powerful tools that we have as Christians in how to tell people about Jesus. We can, we can pray before, like we're even in their presence, right? We can pray for them to experience God. We can pray that their hearts would be softened in, in conversations that we're about to have with them. We can pray for their healing. We can pray for opportunity, all of those things. We can also pray with the person when we're in, in uh, relationship with them, when we're together with them. If you are a Christian and you encounter someone who is sick or hurting or has just received a terrible diagnosis or some terrible piece of news, you should pray for them right now in that moment. Like That's a golden opportunity. And keep your prayer simple when you have that moment. Like, Do not go on and on and on. Right? I'll just give you some words right now. You could say, Lord, heal this person right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray for people. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray that we have boldness to pray in like Acts 4 where the believers gather and they need boldness after Peter and John were before the council. It says in Acts 4, And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Prayer is a powerful opportunity for us to call upon the name of the Lord, to intervene in the current space and with the people that we're sharing the gospel with. I want to close today by reading a portion of the parable of the farmer who scatters seeds found in Mark 4. This uh, parable is an important reminder for us to give us courage and persistence in the face of frustration and challenges that we might face as we're committing to telling people about Jesus. Jesus tells this parable to a group of people where he describes a farmer who scatters seed and how some seed falls on the footpath and some of it falls in shallow soil, some of it in a thorns, uh, and finally some of it into fertile soil. Now, as you can imagine, uh, the different seed placement determined the fruitfulness of the seed. And so Jesus is telling this parable to a group of people, and then uh, the disciples, they kind of come up to Jesus afterwards, and they're like, hey, that didn't really make a whole lot of sense to us. Can you break it down? And so then Jesus replies to his disciples. He says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Friends, we don't know who we're encountering and where they might be in their journey. We are fortunate enough to know this message of the gospel and its saving grace, its complete peace, and its incomprehensible hope. By the grace of God, if you are following Jesus, you have landed in good, fertile soil. And it is now your opportunity to produce a harvest. So why should we tell others? 
we've been commissioned to go and spread this message to produce a harvest. How should we do it? Through our presence, persuasion, proclamation, power, and prayer. And that's a, that's a lot of information, right? The, the end of the story is why should we tell people and, and how? Like, yes, we should tell people. And why should we tell people? Because of the Great Commission, because of what Jesus has done in our own lives. How should we tell people? Well, we've got a lot of opportunities here. Our presence, proclamation, persuasion, all of those things. But I want to close today. I want to give you four tips. Because sometimes I'm a little slow. Sometimes I'm a little awkward. Uh, and I'm a little, uh, I'm not quite as savvy, like coming up with things on the fly. Right? I like to be prepared. Remember, I'm a C. And so I want to give us four tips. Some of you also, you might be here and you might recognize, you know what? My presence in the places where I've been, um, I just haven't been salt and light. I need a do-over, right? And some of you, uh, you might say, I've gotten this wrong by being too aggressive, right? And so I just want to give four quick tips that might help us kind of bring this all together. So tip number one, and if you're writing this down, this is tip number one, uh, you should rehearse your story. You should rehearse your story. So I think about being prepared, right? So if you're going to um, give a speech, if you're going to do any of those type of things, I usually start by writing things down. And I think that's a great way to start when you're thinking about your story. And, and the question of like, how do I tell others? Well, I gotta tell my story. So I would just encourage you to write it down, like jot it in your journal, write down kind of the highlights. Where have you seen Jesus's goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your lives. Where have you, have you felt Jesus' presence as you walked through the valley of the shadow of, the, of darkness? Right? Write those things down. I also think it's, it can be important to like say it out loud. Like Once you've written it down, like just kind of practice saying it out loud. Maybe you have a friend and you can say, like, hey, can I, just, um, can I just practice saying this out loud to you? Like, just want to practice. I think it's important to do that. Especially, again, if you have personality where you tend to get nervous or you get, um, it's just, you might go on too long. Like sometimes when I get nervous, I start talking and talking and talking and like 10 minutes later, I'm like, am I still talking? Stop talking, right? You know, and so you have to be aware of your personality. You can have a short version. You can have a long version. But let me just also say this. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, rehearse your story. Practice your story. I do think that some of us need to be aware if no one is asking us about our story. And that kind of like hit me this morning. And you might need to do a proximity and presence check. Like are you salt and light in the spaces where you do life such that people would ask you to tell your story? And so some of us I think need to wrestle with that question. Tip number two, admit when you don't know the answer. This is hard for someone like me because I always know the answer to every question. You can just ask my family, right? No, I, you have to be able to say you don't know the answer to something, especially when it comes to faith. There are questions that on this side of heaven we might not, never know, we might not ever know the answer to. Sometimes the best response is like, I have no idea. That is terrible. I have no answer for you. There's a famous preacher named Tim Keller. We talk about him a lot. He, he recently passed away, and he is just like the goat of like preaching and, and leading. And um, he would do this thing. Like he's written books that are just like so fantastic, and he's like super smart. I mean, he's just like brilliant. Like if you listen to his podcasts or his sermons, you're like, how did, how did God give one person all that 
information. Like, it's just so good. But he would do this thing. Um, he was in New York City, and if you can imagine, New York City has a lot of people who I would consider maybe like, um, like professional atheists, right? Like they are skilled at understanding why they are atheists or why they are agnostic or whatever. So Tim Keller would do this thing where he would like open up the floor of his church like for questions. Like he would preach a sermon, you know, and then afterwards like he would have open questions and these people would ask him hard questions. And I am like, that man, he was like, I mean, just would flawlessly answer these questions. And people came to know Jesus because he was able to do that, right? Wisdom, like, coming out of, like, every pore of his body. But here's what I need to remember. I am not Tim Keller. You are probably not Tim Keller. Some of you may be, right? We have a couple of students in student ministry, and they might be the next Tim Keller. Like, sometimes they would ask me questions when I was in student ministry, and I'd be like, uh... I don't even know what that word means. Um, but so we've got some brilliant kids, right? You may be Tim Keller, but I am not Tim Keller. So I should not do things like Tim Keller does things. What I do know is I know my story. And I know where Jesus' power intersects with my story. And I know where Jesus has been with me. And I know that piece of the story. And sometimes I just need to answer. I don't know the answer to that particular question. But here's tip number three. Am I on tip number three? Plug into a good church, because when you don't know the answer to some of the questions, if you are going to a good church, you should probably be at a church where they might answer some of those questions. Or you can put someone in relationship with people who might know the answers to some of those tough questions. Like, you may not be confident or comfortable yet answering some of the things, but if you go to a good church, you can be reasonably certain that they will hear about and experience Jesus and a bunch of other people that embody Jesus' character. So you should plug into a good church. If you're not in a good church, go get yourself in a good church. And tip number four, this is my last tip, and the worship team can start making their way up. Tip number four is you've got to pray a lot. You've got to pray a lot. You've got to pray for yourself, that you would be bold and courageous and wise and kind as you tell other people about Jesus. You gotta pray for the people that you encounter, right? That their hearts would be soft, that they would be ready to hear. You may be the, the 67th person on the list who has told somebody about Jesus. You don't know where you are in that list, right? But that you would find and encounter someone who is ready to hear about Jesus. You gotta pray for people to be healed. Like as you encounter them, like, I, it would be hard to deny the power of Jesus if you are sick, someone prays for you, and then you are healed. Right? Like, it would be hard. You'd walk away, nah, I don't believe in that Jesus. Right? Like, I'd be like, well, you got to pray for people to be healed. For blind eyes to see. For the lame to walk. we got to be praying all the time. We've got to pray that, that God would keep us. For those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time, we've got to pray that God would keep us going after new people who don't know Jesus yet. Have you become apathetic to telling your story and about how Jesus changed your life? We've got to pray that, that the Lord would remind us that we are to produce a harvest, that we are blessed to have fallen in good, fertile soil, We've got to pray that the Lord would use our story and our testimony 
to invite people into a loving relationship where they will be completely loved by Jesus because that changes everything. And here's the thing we've got to remember as we continue to pray, that we are pointing people to Jesus so that they can build their hope on him. We don't want to create any systems where people rely on us or our church. We want them to find a relationship with Jesus Christ because that's where transformation takes place. We got to tell people. Would you stand with me if you're able to do so as we sing this final song? As we think about the importance of why and how should we tell other people, I just pray right now that the Lord would just kind of reveal to you what, what he wants you to do. Like there's a lot of us here and we all probably have different starting places or different spots where we are in our journey as how we tell people about Jesus. But I feel like the Lord wants to individually meet with us to remind us what he has for us in the places where we are doing life.